Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and include some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week are all in the family. Murderous plots perpetrated by and against family members, say police. In one case, a burglary investigation reveals a complex web of crimes, including, say police, a mother-daughter murder plot. Text messages between the pair reportedly laid bare the entire plan to poison the mother's husband. Police say the plan worked because the husband is dead, but now, The mother has died mysteriously, but first. An au pair from Brazil is charged with murder after two people were found murdered in the home that she was working in. Police say it's suspicious that the babysitter and the father of the family that she was working for found the wife along with another man dead. But wait, there's more. The father, the husband of the family, tells police that he did it and police say, nope. The babysitter did it. We are recording this on Wednesday, October 25th of 2023. Our guest today is Emily D. Baker, a former prosecutor, attorney, and a legal analyst that you can find on YouTube. Catch all new episodes of her podcast, The Emily Show, every Wednesday. Emily, thank you for taking a drive down YouTube over to our channel today. We're so happy to have you. Welcome. Anna, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm fascinated by the stories we're covering today. I really look forward to diving into it. Great. Since you're new to our um, podcast, I'm wondering, Emily, can you tell people a little bit about your background? Because as a prosecutor, you bring a different set of eyes to the cases that you examine. Absolutely. I have been an attorney for almost 18 years now, which sounds crazy to say, but I was a deputy district attorney in Los Angeles County for over 10 years before I left the district attorney's office and did trials ranging from homicides, attempted homicides, gang crimes, fraud crimes, tax crimes, um, really a bit of everything. It's a very, very busy prosecutorial agency. So lots of experience there. I also worked for civil judges before I became a DA. So I like covering both the civil you know, stories that everybody can't get enough of from that perspective, but also the criminal cases that we can't stop talking about and breaking down the law behind that, what's going to happen, what the lawyers are doing and maybe why. 
Well, I can't wait to hear uh, your comments on these two cases. And as I always say, you know, we only know some of the information until these cases are brought to trial. So we are dealing with what's available, and we're usually left with more questions than answers. But there's a lot that's very suspicious here. And it's all about family members, you know, allegedly trying to kill other family members here. There's a lot of questions in, in both of these cases. So our first case is out of Herndon, Virginia, where an au pair is charged with murder, even though her employer allegedly confessed to the murder. Now, I don't know who did what here, but one thing is certain, two people are dead in the house where the au pair worked. So that in itself is not a good situation. The accused here is 23-year-old Juliana Perez Magalhaes, an au pair for the Banfield family. She has been charged with second-degree murder for one of the two people found at the crime scene. That's the additionally confusing part here. Uh, I'm going to tell you who the victims are, and then we'll try and figure out who police think, you know, killed who, because it isn't, it's almost like a diagram that we need. You need so a the, chart. You do need a chart. <laughs> I have to figure out how to do that. <laughs> Everyone on TikTok has those. I can never figure that out. And, you know, I still work with paper here I because I was thinking so the whole I. system is going to crash. I'm a paper person. <laughs> so the victims are 37-year-old Christine Banfield. Now, she is the mom, okay? She's the mom here who hired the nanny to help her. Then the other victim is 39-year-old Joseph Ryan. What's unclear is the relationship between the two deceased, between Christine, the married woman mom of the house, and this Joseph Ryan. There are some theories. Uh, there are some rumors. Uh, we'll figure out eventually what the relationship is. So they were discovered dead in the family home, in a bedroom, by the au pair, and then Christine's husband, or the father of the family is the easiest way for me to, to, because we need, again, an org chart here. So the husband here is Brendan Banfield. So here's the other thing. Christine, the mom, was stabbed to death. And Joseph, the other man, was found shot dead. The au pair is charged with shooting the other man. And police still don't know who exactly killed Christine? What What do you make of this thing, Emily? I was digging into this a little bit and saw that the au pair's mother has been speaking to uh, the media and indicated that the au pair told her that the gentleman in the bedroom with the mother, Mrs. Banfield, had, she believes, killed Mrs. Banfield and then they shot him in like a defense of others situation. What's not clear is why this other man is in the bedroom with her. He's around the same age. He's like 39 years old and the whole circumstances surrounding it. But it lends a little bit of light to maybe why there's no charge on the murder of Mrs. Banfield. If the belief is that the other victim is the one who perpetrated that murder. But there's a lot of questions about what the connection here is and then why the husband lied to police why the au pair has the gun and and again why would the husband lie to police about that unless trying to protect the au pair but then if it's in defense of others that is generally considered justifiable 
because it's defense of others. So why would you need to lie to law enforcement? And then I saw multiple reports that the husband is a federal law enforcement officer as well. So yes. which I also want to know if this was his service weapon. Like what gun was this? Um, so there are so many questions in this case, but I think it's very telling that no one's been charged for her death yet. I agree with you there. The husband reportedly is an investigator for the IRS. And what is also extremely troubling for me is that the four-year-old child, a little girl that the au pair was charged with caring for, which is why she was hired, was in the home at the time this all happened. Absolutely. And why wasn't the au pair, if you were worried about a break-in, why isn't the au pair with the child trying to get the child either out of the home or somewhere to safety behind a locked door and then let the husband deal with it? Because the husband's in the home. There are four adults in this home. Two of them are murder victims. Why is no one with the child? Very confusing. Very confusing. Very suspicious. Um, because there's a lot that we don't understand, I think maybe let's do a little family history of who, who was where and how the au pair ended up here. And perhaps we can start seeing some of those red flags because you've already pointed out some of them, which is very troubling. The child was in the house. Who's taking care of the child? Who is this man? Now, I did read a report that the au pair's mother told Brazilian media that she suspected that Joseph may have had an affair previously with Christine or there was some kind of a partnership previously. But... Authorities haven't confirmed any of that. So we don't know the nature of that relationship. But it's it's an odd place to be before 8 a.m. in a bedroom. It's a very, very odd circumstance. There's no one in, in my house before 8 a.m. that doesn't live here on the regular um, because it's really early in the morning. But why are they there? Um, and it seems like this is before everyone's kind of left for the day or left for work. And that's why everybody's in the house. But then how did he get into the house? When did he get into the house? And what was the circumstance of that? And what drew attention to the fact that he was in the house and that she was in the bedroom and had been stabbed? You know what I find very suspicious, Emily, is that the au pair told police, remember, it's before 8 a.m., that she went to the house, meaning she's not already in the house. Anyone who has raised a child, certainly of that age, knows that before 8 a.m. is the busiest time ever. They're up. You know, a lot of stuff is going on. You need the au pair at two times during the day, in the morning and at night. Yeah. So the au pair is not home. She says that she arrives home and that there's a car that she doesn't recognize, which concerns her, and then she calls the father well, where the heck's the father why is he not home right at 8 a.m at 8 I mean, a.m he left for work very early but if he's leaving for work wouldn't the au pair be there before he left that happens and don't au pairs generally live in the home yes yes and i and again if you see a car that you don't recognize in the driveway why would that alarm you would that i, I naturally if you work in the house, you work for this family, what about that is alarming? It's a very good question because people come people come and go to the house and to houses 
regularly, no matter what the circumstances. So it is interesting that that caused concern. And I wonder what the backstory is there about whether there had been something going on to be concerned about. Yeah, uh, it, it, something's not adding up with that part of it. We need to know where they all were before all this happened because, uh, and I, I and the police have not told us exactly why they have charged the au pair, meaning they haven't been really clear about, you know, DNA, gun, gunshots, any, any of that stuff. They haven't been clear about that. At least no. not, a, right? They haven't been. And what's interesting is that you have someone who said, I am responsible for this. And then the police made the decision and the prosecutors made the decision to not charge the husband, but to charge the au pair. So there has to be physical evidence and other evidence that led them in that direction that they have not released yet because they've released the information that he made the statement that he did that, um, that he was the one who pulled the trigger. So why why that choice? Also, why second degree? Um, it's it's an interesting charging as well, unless they think it might have been an imperfect self-defense defense of others. Hmm. And how could he be so invested in the au pair that he would take the fall and the blame for shooting another human dead? If he didn't it's do it. It's a very good question. Yeah. Very suspicious, you know. And I how think quickly about. did he get back to the house? We have such little information on this case. So let's talk a little bit here about the family. So Brendan and Christine Banfield um, live in a suburb, a very upscale suburb of the Washington, D.C. area, but it's technically in Virginia. Now, according to neighbors, Brendan worked for the IRS. The couple had a four-year-old daughter, and they hired Juliana to be the nanny, the au pair. So Juliana is from Brazil and she was reportedly in the U.S. on a work visa, which apparently had recently expired. Oh. So according to Juliana's mother, um, she truly believes, she says, that Juliana and the Banfields, both of them, got along very well, that there was no tension there at all and that um, she had no idea of any specific tension between the mother and the au pair because it's you know the mother is dead the au pair is charged not with her murder but somebody else's murder so it's like what i it's right. too confusing again we don't know the relationships here so all this happened on the morning of february 24th of this year 2023 so it's both brendan the dad and the au pair call 911 from the home and apparently it was a hang-up. What is that about? I don't know, because you've got two people in the house calling 911. Were they having a conversation about what they were going to say when they were calling 911? Were they arguing over calling 911? Why is there that call and a hang-up? When exactly did they get into the home and discover things? And that's what's so helpful about cell phone evidence, is their cell phones will say, exactly when the nanny got to the location of the home, exactly when the husband got to the location of the home. And they're going to absolutely be looking at that. They've had time since February to get that information and see who came in and how much time passed between them getting back to the home and then them calling 911. Because if there's an intruder in the home, you would think that would be an immediate call. 
Not a delayed call. You would think so because there's a 10 minute delay between the first 911 call and the second 911 call. And here is my problem with this. If the reason it was interrupted is because you're in the middle of a struggle, okay, that's one thing. But I, you know, would try and keep that phone on as evidence. However, Christine, the mom, was taken to the hospital and she was pronounced dead at the hospital. So in my eyes, I believe that Christine could possibly still be alive during these 911 shenanigans and delays. It's a very good question because they were very specific about the fact that the other gentleman was uh, dead at the scene who suffered the gunshot wounds and that she was transported. So yes, the delays could be a huge factor in that, but yet no one is still charged with her death, which is also, it's, it's, it's so odd. It's just such an odd set of circumstances with the limited information that we have. And it raises so many questions as to what has been charged and why, how, how they're viewing this case, what forensic evidence they already have, and why the delay in charging. And why would the au pair tell 911 that, quote, her friend was hurt? Also a very strange comment, because if she's worried about a car in the driveway, that's obviously not your friend, right? Unless she was calling, thinking of Mrs. Banfield, but then wouldn't that be, you know, my employer or the woman I work for or, you know, call call her by her name? it's my friend. It's it's strange. It is strange. But of course, you know, in the heat of moments like this, there's a lot going on. We don't know exactly how would we would react, but I always think of the most normal or average reaction to these things. So Brendan, the dad, the husband, allegedly told the dispatcher that an unknown, this is what I find fascinating, because if there's some suspicion that the wife and the other man may have known each other. Brendan is saying an unknown man. Who is this, right? Total right. mystery surprise man. Um, had broke, had broken in, had broken into the house and stabbed his wife. And then he told dispatch that he shot that man. So we have not been told whether there were signs of break-in either. That is something that's missing from the uh, available public discussion on this case. That would be very curious whether there were any signs of break-in. One would think that that would be, if there were, it'd be a very obvious thing to say immediately. If there aren't, it's the kind of thing you might be holding on to. Absolutely. And I I would not be surprised if there's not signs of break-in because you don't have a 911 call from Mrs. Banfield when somebody's breaking into the home at 8 a.m., assuming that everybody's awake at that hour with a four-year-old and the au pair not home and the husband not home, one would think she would have been awake at that hour. So it's it leans towards that there might not be signs of a breaking and entering. And it is the type of thing police normally disclose pretty early on. So responders uh, arrived to quite a gruesome scene here, very bloody because Um, both Christine and Joseph were in the upstairs bathroom. Christine had been stabbed several times in the upper body while Joseph had been shot multiple times. And again, Joseph was pronounced dead at the Banfield home, but Christine was rushed to the hospital. So they must have thought there was some chance to save her, which frustrates me about the possibility of any delay on anyone who discovered them. 
uh, and how that could have maybe cost her precious time. So just as a moral issue, that troubles me tremendously, especially when one of the people is your own husband. Right? You would think that the urgency is to get the mother of your child to the hospital ASAP. So I'm very troubled by that. Um, Oh, I'm seeing here in my notes, I have a little correction. I'm sorry here. It says authorities say there were no signs of forced entry. Forgive me. Well, are we surprised? No, we are not. No, <laughs> we are not. So correction um, there. I don't think this was someone unknown. And the husband saying it was someone unknown to him may be true, maybe trauma, maybe distancing. But then the nanny saying that it's someone that they know is is interesting that there's a contradiction in that unless because you have two victims the au pair is referring to again mrs bamfield so police are saying that after speaking with juliana the au pair and the dad the husband here both said that they were out of the house at the time of the killings it's possible she could have run to the market and he could have run to work but no one is saying that here it raises more questions, and I hope the police have the answers to those questions, because if they don't, they're going to be, well, they're going to find out through cell phone evidence exactly where people were, because when you take your cell phone with you, your phone just tells on you. So they will know through digital forensics where they are. And if they bothered doing car forensics, they'll also see where the cars went to and from with the GPSs and things like that, should the cars be newer model cars, which is likely. Um that they would have that capability to take all that information out of the cars as well. Do you find it interesting that the au pair Juliana, Juliana reportedly told authorities that she found Christine stabbed in the upstairs bedroom and Joseph was alive holding the knife? And then she said that's when the husband shot the man. I'm... I, I'm not shocked by that scenario because that might well be what happened and why we don't see a charge for the murder of Mrs. Banfield. It might well be that this is a self or a defense of others case where she was being attacked and they came, the nanny and the husband came in and saw that ongoing and then somebody shot them uh, or shot Mr. Ryan. But it's, it's, there's so much information missing that it's hard to piece it together because what is the connection between Banfield and Ryan that he's in the house at that time of the morning looking for her? Like what is the ongoing, if there is an ongoing issue, what is that? And is that why when the au pair saw the car, possibly knowing whose car it was, there was an alarm raised because this might have been an ongoing issue. But wouldn't you just say that, that this is someone who's had an issue and we came home and we're afraid and there he was in the bathroom. And so he was actively stabbing her. So we shot him to, to stop it. But both of them said that the husband was the one who shot and yet police don't agree. So there is information that we are definitely missing. Yes, we are. It took seven months before authorities would make an arrest in this case. So on October 19th, Juliana was charged with second degree murder for the shooting death of Joseph Ryan. Again, not for the mom, wife, Christine. They claim that forensic evidence and multiple interviews concluded that Juliana shot Joseph, 
they haven't given us the details of what that forensic evidence is. And she is currently being held without bond at the Fairfax County Jail, and she has not entered a plea yet to the charges as far as we are aware. So, who killed Christine is still a question. It is believed it could be the other could man. Could be the other decedent. It could, could be. be. It could be. Um, you know, while the mom, the au pair's mom in Brazil has said that maybe there was some kind of a previous relationship between the two people who were dead, I didn't see anything about what was the nature of the relationship between the au pair and the husband father. So, um, and there, and there, I want to be clear, there may not be one. I mean, it's very possible. This is totally just out there, just a, a theory based on nothing. It's possible that the au pair had an eye on the wife on behalf of the husband, right? That that's, we always think of the au pair as having an affair with the father, but there's no one has revealed anything about that here. So maybe the au pair, the reason she was so taken by that car and called the dad was because maybe she had noticed, picked up on something and had shared with the dad, hey, I think something's going on with your wife. It's possible. Uh, it's, it it's very possible. And the again, the fact that police and prosecutors took so long to charge this means they were going through not just physical forensics, but digital forensics as well to figure out what happened. It sounds like multiple interviews. Um, it seems to me that the argument here is going to be a self self-defense in the defense of others, defense of Mrs. Banfield who had been stabbed and either a perfect or imperfect self-defense. And that's something prosecutors are going to talk a lot about when you are looking at defense cases, you have to consider if you're going to charge the case, because if the other person has a solid self-defense claim, some agencies aren't going to bring the charges. Some agencies will bring the charges and make the defendant prove it in court. And those conversations take time and prosecutors want to be thorough um, before they bring the case because they want to be able or they should want to be able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt when it goes to trial. So there is some reason here why they chose to file these charges, chose to make it a second degree murder, not a first degree premeditated murder, um, which is where I think their their recognition of imperfect self-defense comes in, because if it's an imperfect self-defense, then um, you don't get to you don't get to a not guilty because of the self-defense. So there's going to be a lot of really interesting legal questions here, as well as a tremendous amount of suspicious factual circumstances. We're going to watch this one and see what happens. Oh, I, I'm very interested to see how this goes. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Our next case is out of Jackson County, Indiana. And like with our first case, the mother has been found dead. 
And police say that the deceased allegedly plotted with her daughter to kill that mother's husband who died mysteriously. We need another org chart for this one because there are a lot of people, a lot of relationships. It's a very complicated case. Um, so let's start with the mother. So the mother, 52-year-old Marsha Allen, she was found dead in her house. And apparently that was not the only thing that triggered an investigation, but it is certainly um, an incident uh, that, that really changed the trajectory of this investigation. Because two days after the mother is found dead, her 29-year-old daughter, Ashley Jones, is arrested, not for the mother's death, but for the death of the mother's husband. I know, I know, we're going to try and make this as easy as possible. So Ashley, this is the daughter, she's been charged with plotting with her mother to poison the mother's father, excuse me, the mother's husband, it's not her father. The husband, 52-year-old Harold Allen, died in December of 2022. And at the time, his death was not investigated because he was apparently ill at the time. 52 years old, you can, death of natural causes can happen. Um, the funny thing about poison is sometimes that can look like natural causes if you're not looking for it. Uh, I don't believe they did, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe they did an autopsy of, of him either um, at the time that he passed. I agree with you. I don't believe that happened at the time that he passed. And I'm, I'm kind of feeling like there's a little Lori Vallow thing going on here, you know, with um, people at first, you know, there's one death here and one death there, but you're not starting to connect the dots until you see that the dots all come back to one or two people. And then that becomes incredibly suspicious. Yeah, you can only it's the same with the Murdoch case. You can only connect the dots looking backwards and then. Yes the more dots there are, the more you start looking backwards going, oh, but what else was there? And it seems like that is exactly what unwound here. I'm really curious about this case. Like as curious as I am about the first case, there's there's something here that is so troubling because police have released some information on these plots and, um, text messages that were very revealing. So let's let's try to explain how this was uncovered because it was uncovered because of a burglary at the mother's house because it, nothing here is simple. And then all those people who were one of the persons charged with that is actually related to the daughter's um, husband's, because he's dead too. <laughs> father-in-law it's so the fact that the 29 year old daughter now alleged defendant has also a deceased husband it was the thing that put me over the top on this case i was like so you're telling me there are three suspicious deaths very closely circled around ashley jones at 29 years old and that the confession that they are that the law enforcement has put out there is a poisoning confession. It raises a lot of red flags. And then the family of her deceased husband speaking up saying, 
you know, we didn't even know about it until he was cremated and everything was done. I'm like, oh, that raises a lot of red flags for me. There's a lot of red fl- there's a lot of red flags, but um, there's a ton of them. There are a ton of them. So again, in the center of all of all of this is Ashley. Her young husband has died. Now we believe mysteriously. Her mother has died mysteriously, and her former and her stepdad has died yeah. mysteriously. There's three people, all dead, gone, and and just within like two three years. I mean, it's it's not. And her, her statement of it was, well, I ordered, I ordered the concoction that he was poisoned with off the internet, but it was my mom who gave it to him. I'm like, that's still a conspiracy to commit murder, though. Uh, yes. So that's not going to help. Your and that could have happened. I mean, that's indeed mm-hmm. possible. It is possible that the mother gave the concoction to the husband and then he died. That's entirely possible. Okay, let, let's try again <laughs> to unravel this incredibly complicated case. Again, everything came to light because of a burglary at the mother's house, at Marsha's house. Okay. And now there are multiple investigations into the deaths of three people. Currently, this is the belief, according to investigators, police believe that Harold's wife, mom, right? Marsha, mom, poisoned one of his drinks with something called ethylene glycol, which is a chemical found in things like antifreeze. It's colorless, odorless, and supposedly has a sweet taste. Police say Marsha plotted with her daughter to carry out that murder. Police say they figured this all out during the investigation into a burglary at Marsha's home. Marsha, the mother, called police on September 19th. Now, her husband's been long dead at this point, okay? And his nickname is Peanut. The husband, Harold's nickname is Peanut. So he's long out of the picture. She calls police and says, someone broke in and went to her safe and that her guns and jewelry were taken. Marsha, the mom, says to the police, she believed that the daughter was behind this because the crooks who broke in had the combination to the safe and the only other person, said Marsha, that had the combination was her daughter, Ashley. That doesn't surprise me at all. You know, the best way to have two people keep a secret is if one of them is dead. So I'm not surprised that the mom is like the only person who has the combo to the safe is the daughter, because it's also been alleged that the daughter's deceased husband had just come into an inheritance when he passed. So I imagine investigators have immediately pulled everyone's bank accounts involved with this to start looking at where the money might be. So a theft of the weapons and jewelry what a month before she mysteriously passed away is uh is interesting timing isn't it it really is and then think about it why what i also question like what may have been in the safe because she uh, first first things first ashley is not charged with her mother's death okay we we don't know cause of death yet so ashley is not charged with her mother's death but let's just say, because this is all very suspicious, so clearly she is under suspicion because three people around her are dead. So let me ask you this, Emily. 
if the daughter had been planning to kill the mother, she would have gotten everything in the safe anyway after the mother was dead because she had the combination. So why have the two people break into the house? Like, this is the part of the story I do not get. It's a very good point, unless she had planned for that burglary to go down in a different way. And then it looks like the mother passed in the course of a burglary um, and not suspiciously. And then that didn't go the way it had been intended um, because it's not uncommon to see people harmed in home invasion uh, burglaries and home invasion robberies. So I wonder if the burglary was set up for that or... It could be that she owed people a debt because they discovered her secret. And she said, well, I can't pay you, but this is the combination to my mother's safe. So the money was not for her. It was for others that she might have owed money to, which is always a possibility. I hope that we get answers to some of those questions because it's very, very odd. And I do want to know what else was in the safe because somehow this burglary cracked open the rest of the case. It did. It did. I like the way you think about it. never occurred to me that maybe Ashley owed somebody else and this was the payoff. It didn't even occur to me. Oh, you're such a good prosecutor. <laughs> <laughs> you got to look at all sides of a thing. It's like, why? The, the reasonable question is, if she's planning to kill the mother, she's going to get you presume she's going to inherit everything. The yeah. stepfather's deceased. She's the only remaining family member, it seems, or the, the only child. So those things would be hers. So why put yourself at risk, especially if you had conspired, as she's alleged to have done, conspired to kill the stepfather? Why put yourself at risk unless someone has discovered that secret and is holding it over you, is blackmailing you or you owe other debts or there's other things going on here? Um, And then it becomes a reason why outside of why wouldn't you just wait? Yes, 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 yes. Well, detectives have made some arrests. They identified two people, Stephen White and Nathaniel Napier, as the burglars. Now, here's what's interesting. According to authorities, Stephen White, one of the alleged burglars, told detectives that this burglary was Ashley's idea and planned by her. Okay, so this brings Ashley into the fold. So the suspect reportedly spilled the beans on Marsha murdering her husband because he also said, and I think Marsha may have poisoned her husband. So Stephen White gets arrested, but apparently knows a lot more information about what's going on in this family and starts spilling the beans. Police then start looking through Marsha's, now she's passed, Marsha's cell phone, And they found a bunch of text messages between the mother and the daughter plotting Harold's poisoning death. Additional electronic devices were reportedly seized from Marsha's home. And Marsha, Marsha was questioned initially because of what Stephen had said as they were gathering this forensic, digital forensic evidence, questioned about just the statement alone that Stephen White had said, look, I think Marsha tried to poison her husband. So she was initially questioned, um, but Marsha was released and the investigation continued while they were gathering all this uh, additional evidence. A month later, Marsha's dead. Yep. Marsha's dead. October 16th. After speaking with law enforcement. After speaking with law enforcement. The best play for 
Stephen White and Nathaniel Napier, who got popped on the burglary, is absolutely to tell police what they know. It is absolutely their best their best bet. I mean, your first best bet is not to talk to law enforcement. Your second best bet is to trade information and be like, yeah, but there's all of this and this is how we got wrapped up in it um, because it's likely to benefit you down the road, depending depending on on what's going on. So it's surprising to me that she mysteriously passed after talking to law enforcement, after having her digital devices seized. Also, these the, the Marsha and her daughter are clearly not fans of true crime. If they are texting one another about planning a murder. Um, yep. Yeah, yep. It's yeah. confusing. You can't just like either get on a phone or talk to each other face to face, you know, at the piggly wiggly, you know, yeah. These you are, can't the, do that. I, I now, don't want to help people crime better, but digital devices will tell on you. Yes. Now I have a question, Emily. So, when Stephen White, you know, gets picked up and his initial story is because it sounds too incredible at the time. And remember, it's not like any of these other deaths have been investigated. And Stephen White says, well, you know, even though he's been caught, right, he's the one under suspicion. He's the one who allegedly stole the guns and the jewelry and broke into the house, along with a, an alleged accomplice. When he tells police, oh, yeah, this is nothing because, you know, Marsha killed her husband and she plotted it with Ashley. And this was the daughter's whole idea. What is the initial reaction to something like that? Is it like, oh, please? Or is it, because it, it sounds so incredible that it does take some time to digest and then start saying, oh, wait a minute. You know, the husband did die a year or two ago and hold on a second. And that's when they start getting into the forensic. So I'm wondering like what the initial reaction is when either law enforcement or a prosecutor is faced with, with this initial story before you know anything. You people will say a lot of things when they get arrested. Uh, so you definitely need to take it with a grain of salt and then look for other evidence that corroborates it. So it's one of those like noted. That's interesting. We're going to need to look and see if there's more information. A lot of investigators will follow up with. How do you know that? Tell me the circumstances where you learned this information. What proves that? I, I need more information. But it also goes back to clearly someone outside of just Marsha and her daughter know about their alleged conspiracy to commit murder because Stephen White's telling law enforcement all about it. So what did the daughter say to Stephen White before he went and burgled the home? And again, he knew this information that no one outside of Marsha and the daughter would know unless they were told. And how lucky is he that he's still alive? I, there are three suspicious deaths here. Um, so, yes. I, you know, and they're, they're family members and, and he's related to the, to Ashley's husband's side of the family. So it's, it's all very, it's all Ashley's very. Ashley's deceased husband. Deceased husband. Yes. Him. Him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after Marsha's death, Marsha's death, officers spoke with Ashley, you know, she's the grieving daughter here, um, the very next day. And they claim that in this conversation, because remember, they, they were still trying to figure out if what Stephen White was um, telling them was truthful. And I don't think that they were under the gun, if you will, to, to solve it and get everything no. in pieces until Marsha is found dead. And when Marsha's found dead, it's like, 
everything stops and we must investigate this lead because now Stephen White is, is sounding like, you know, the Oracle here. So they claim that in this conversation, Ashley confessed to ordering that chemical on the internet as part of this alleged plot to kill Harold Allen. But Ashley said she can, she confessed only to buying the poison and that it was her mom who poisoned her stepdad. It's an interesting admission. We know that if she bought it on the internet, hello. There's um, going to be a trail. There's going to be a trail. So she was, if she indeed do th did do this and that confession is accurate and truthful, I guess, you know, you. Is she telling the truth because that's all she did? Or is she telling the truth because she knows, hmm, they're on to me? And for prosecutors, I don't know how much it matters. Most conspiracy charges, the sentence is the same as the underlying charge. So on the conspiracy to commit murder, if you have her admitting to procuring the method of murder and then in text messages plotting the murder, she is going to be charged under that conspiracy and aiding and abetting and all the other theories for the murder. So for prosecutors, it if she's the one who pours it in the drink or not, almost doesn't matter because they can prosecute her on her confession, on whatever digital evidence that they are going to have. And then on the fact that he is in fact deceased and there's no one to contradict her story because the mother is also in fact deceased. How convenient. Isn't it though? On October 18th, two days after mom's mysterious death, Ashley was arrested on charges related to the stepfather's death. She was charged with murder, conspiracy to commit murder, attempted murder, and burglary. She is currently detained at the Jackson County Jail. Okay. Now, Ashley's alleged burglary accomplices here, Stephen White and Nathaniel, Napier have been charged with burglary, conspiracy to commit burglary, and theft. That's where their charges end for now. But of course, the story doesn't end there because we've been talking about Ashley's husband. Yep. Ashley is a widow. Marsha mother is a widow. <laughs> like mother, like daughter. <laughs> she is a young widow. Okay. Trison, that is her husband mysteriously died in 2019. The person who says that Trison died mysteriously, who's saying this very publicly right now, would be Trison, the dead husband's uncle. Wait a minute. The uncle is the father of Stephen White burglary man. Yeah, it's it's. It's playing out like a Greek tragedy where you really have to tie everybody back together because they're they're family members. I I wonder as we're talking about this more, and this is why I love chatting about cases, if the relationship between the mother and daughter were deteriorating after the conspiracy to commit murder, I I do think people don't necessarily anticipate what doing something like that, the toll that it might take on you. I wonder if the burglary was to get the guns away from the mother. So was it to get the jewelry or was it to get the guns away from the mother? Because as we're talking about a gun safe, was there a concern that the relationship was deteriorating between the mother and the daughter? 
And that's why the burglary made sense at the time that it made sense. And then you see the mother mysteriously pass when all of her guns have been stolen. Correct. But couldn't the daughter just have gone into the house and taken the guns herself? Maybe. But if the daughter is worried about her husband's cousin or her husband's, yeah, her husband's cousin, and knowing that she committed the murder, having him as a burglary suspect could also discredit him. Oh, he's just saying that to get out of his own case. That's not necessarily truthful. Ah, I see. You bring them into the web and into the crimes, and therefore they won't speak against you because it would be too damaging to themselves to reveal this. But she didn't calculate what Stephen White would do. Clearly a miscalculation. Which she should have. The immediate thing you do is say, yeah, but look at what they did. You're right. (laughs) They're worse than we are. (laughs) She told us to break into her mother's house and get the guns out of the safe, but she and her mom murdered her stepdad. Just saying. it's Just saying. Right. So the husband, this is Ashley's husband. Yes. Trison. Okay. Trison's uncle is William Jones, who's also Stephen White's dad. Okay. The uncle has been saying that Trison was found dead in his home days after receiving an inheritance from his great grandfather or uncle that you referenced. So family members would know someone passes and a favorite someone gets something. So uncle should know what's going on on that side of the family. So he, of course, found it suspicious. Now, apparently, as you said earlier, when Trison passed after collecting his inheritance, timing is everything, family members were not told that he had passed. They didn't even know that the man was dead. And Ashley, this is all according to the uncle, Ashley quickly cremated him. And when she did tell relatives that he passed, she said he died of alcohol poisoning of course he's been cremated so there's nothing anyone can do with the autopsy but the uncle is saying hold on a second she likely poisoned him is what the uncle is saying he doesn't have any proof i can see where the uncle's coming from with everything that we've talked about i can see why the uncle's going wait a second and find i can't imagine much that would be worse than finding your spouse unresponsive at your home and the level of terrifying that would be. So for her to reach out to none of his family is stunning. Yes, it is. And then yes, to, at 29 years old, to hurry up and plan a funeral. Planning funerals that? is devastating. Yes. Yes, yep. it's all very suspicious. So the uncle, William Jones, sat down for an interview to share his suspicions with WHAS-TV Channel 11. Here's a part of that interview. She had his body cremated, quick, fast, and in a hurry. So before the family could even ask for an autopsy or to have anything done about it, Ashley or Marsha had set it up to where they poisoned him within the liquor. And I think that Stephen knows what happened because they were really, really inseparable people. So right there, the uncle is saying that Ashley's husband, who's passed, and Stephen, the alleged burglar, were extremely close, meaning the uncle believes 
Stephen probably knows a lot more than the authorities have shared so far with us publicly. Why is she bringing him in on the burglary? It's such oh, a Oh, wait a, a minute. Maybe that's tangle. what you said earlier. Maybe it was to pay him. Maybe it was to keep him quiet for everything that he knows. I mm. think it's going to be very interesting when law enforcement gets through all these bank records um, to see where money was moving and, and what was happening there. I think there's that definitely needs to be considered. It's not done in every single homicide case, but when things are so convoluted and there's so many interconnections, I think it has to be done. And I hope I hope that that's been done because bank records, you can get quite a bit of information going back and looking at what people are doing, especially when there's now a, a suspicious death of a young man who had just inherited money and no autopsy. So without Trison's body, this is going to be a tough one, but I would think that cousin Stephen, who seems to know a lot, m- may be able to provide some information, some firsthand information. Absolutely may be able to. And you never know what other emails, text messages, Snapchats, social media DMs, what the rest of that might turn off. Because what we do know from law enforcement is that that Ashley and her mom were very comfortable texting about the plot to kill the stepdad. So if that's the case, then I don't imagine they would be careful about other information. And we might see that validated on other records. Hmm. (laughs) Three people are dead. Two husbands, a mother, and they all tie back to, at least through relationships, (laughs) To one person, Ashley. Yep. Man, that's fascinating. It's going to be a really interesting case to watch it unfold and to see what, to see what her, I mean, what would their relation be? Her, I guess her cousin-in-law, what Stephen White knows, what he says, and if he further unravels this case against Ashley, because if he was that close to her deceased husband, what does he stand to lose by being completely cooperative. Amazing. So we do not have a comments section this week. However, we will have a fabulous comment section next week because one of you will be joining us on the podcast for the comment section. I'm so excited. We said we would do this to celebrate our 5 million subscribers. So I can't wait to actually meet one of you. You know, I talk with you as far as comments or on social media. We talk about cases, we talk about other stuff, and I I really do try and read your comments. So this time you get to tell me your comments. I'm very excited about this, Emily. Very excited to meet one of our subscribers. That'll be such a fun episode and congratulations on 5 million. It's a huge milestone. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So Emily, it's been such a total pleasure having you on to chat about crime, as you say. Where can people find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Absolutely. I am live streaming on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays at the Emily D. Baker. I also do live trial coverage. The next one that's on my docket is going to be the next Murdaugh trial over the Gloria Satterfield thefts at the end of November. And then the podcast is on your favorite podcasting apps, also on YouTube. And I'm all over social at the Emily D. Baker. So pretty easy to find. Yeah. 
Yeah, just fascinating. I love that that case. Just that case keeps on going. The Murdochs. I mean, what do you think about the possibility now of this whole jury tampering thing with the clerk and that he may get a new trial? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I believe if those actually- allegations are true. I don't know how you don't give him a new trial. Agreed. The allegation that the clerk told jurors not to believe his testimony, if that's founded when they do an evidentiary hearing, I don't see anything other than overturning the conviction. I, I don't see how they they don't and then have to try it again. It was a six week trial. Oh, and, and he still has over 101 outstanding state indictments, not to mention the federal indictments he's recently pled to. And the IRS isn't even in the chat yet because we know that there were tax issues based on the state charges. So this is a web that is going to be spinning for at least a couple more years. It's it's absolutely wild. Oh my gosh. It's wild. so is. It so is. I, I can't wait to see your coverage on that because it, it really is overwhelming. And I I think, you know, I love to watch the streams myself and just listen and decide for myself based on what I'm hearing. But that can be very time consuming. And then sometimes you're stuck like listening to someone who you don't personally find very interesting and you're fast forwarding. So Uh, For me, what's very important is who is the person filtering what happened today in court for me? And if I have great trust in them like I do in you, that is really beneficial to me as someone who is listening, watching, and reading crime cases is who is doing the filtering and are they, you know, um, do you know what I mean? They're not just making wild allegations. They are, they're, they're doing, they're doing you a favor. They're telling you what happened today in court that you need to know. My goal is that at the end of, especially live trial coverage, the audience can understand how the jury reached their verdict, can understand what evidence the jury saw and can understand, even if they don't agree, but can understand how the jury got there and make their mind up for themselves about what witnesses they believed or didn't believe or liked or didn't like and understanding how that testimony comes in and why. Because sometimes trials are boring and slow and dry. You've got days of laying foundation, but at least people understanding what that means gives them the full the full access to our criminal justice system when you see it play out in courts across the country. And the Murdoch trial was absolutely wild watching that it play was, out. There was nothing boring about that one, honestly. No. Of all the trials recently, that one, there there wasn't a moment that I wasn't absolutely riveted. It was fascinating. The The entire case was essentially solved by a Snapchat video because a dog was misbehaving. That <laughs> yes. broke the entire case. Yes. It's bananas. Yes, it is. Bananas is a good word. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on all social media at Anna G News, Anna with one N. Uh, you can get this episode of our podcast, all the other episodes, wherever you all get your podcasts. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can go to truecrimedaily.com to subscribe to our newsletter. As I like to say, it's so 1990s to have a newsletter. <laughs> We're very retro here. And um, we're just always thrilled and grateful for all of you who spend at least an hour with us every week. And we're very appreciative of that. So until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime.